All right, well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 27. Uh, We've been in the Torah for quite a few months now. That's the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we are coming down the home stretch. I think three more sermons or four more sermons maximum. I think we start our study in Philippians on September 15. So however many that is, I, I, I forget. The list is somewhere in my computer. And so we're looking forward to um, starting a new book, but Deuteronomy still has some gold for us both today and in the next few days, especially when we get to chapters 30 to 34. That's where all the themes of the Pentateuch, those first five books, come together and present us with Jesus, the coming prophet like Moses, who's going to speak the word to God's people so that we can actually hear it and obey it with all our heart and soul so that we can live forever in the new creation. That's what Deuteronomy is about. And uh, and so we're going to end that. Um, I can't wait to preach those passages. Today, it's a little harder of a passage, as you'll see soon. So at the heart of today's passage, we're going to be looking up through Deuteronomy 29. It's the theme of blessing and curse. And those two themes, they're at the heart of the Bible's story. What is blessing? What is curse? Blessing in the Bible is good things from God. (laughs) Curse is bad things. From God. The curse comes as a result of sin and is an, often the natural consequences for sin. Uh, God giving over um, humans to suffering as a result of cutting him out of our lives. And that's what we see in Genesis. The first two chapters of the Bible, they start off with the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and they're enjoying God's blessing in the good world that he's made. In Genesis 3, though, they lose the blessing because they rebelled against God, and they get a curse from God instead. But in Genesis 12, God promises that he's going to bring the blessing back to humans once again, to all humanity. And he's going to do it through one man named Abraham, if Abraham listens to God's voice and trusts him, just like all humans need to learn to do, just like Adam and Eve should have done. The Bible's word for this kind of trusting listening is faith. So as the story of Abraham reveals, we've been there, covered, but just this is a recap, all right? Abraham does actually have faith in the Lord, and he listens to him after a lot of ups and downs. Uh, Genesis twenty two eighteen. God confirms his promise to bless the world through Abraham. He says, in your seed, your kid that's coming, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you listened to my voice. So because Abraham obeys God in Genesis 22 and listens to his voice, the blessing is confirmed. It will come through him. Again, Abraham didn't obey God perfectly throughout his life he didn't have a perfect faith but he had a true faith a faith that really did trust the lord when all the chips were down so because of that there would be a male child born in his line a child who would come who would listen to god 
and who would eventually bring God's blessing back, both to God's people Israel and to all the nations of the earth once more. This child, as you probably know, uh, if you've been coming here for a little while anyway, is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings the blessing back. But in our passage today, we're looking at a whole host of Abraham's seed, a whole nation of Abraham's kids in Deuteronomy. They're called the people of Israel. And, and together as a nation, they're actually called God's son. But they're definitely not God's son, Jesus. They're not an obedient child. They don't listen to God. They're constantly grumbling. But God still is presenting them with an option. If you listen to me, Israel, this corporate son, if you listen to me, you'll enjoy blessing. You'll get the blessing back. You're going to enjoy life in this Eden-like promised land. If you disobey, you're going to get exactly what Adam got. Curse, death, and exile. You'll get kicked out of the land. So here we are at the end of Deuteronomy. They're right about to go into the land. And the question is, are they going to obey and get blessing like Adam should have and didn't? Or are they going to disobey and get cursed like Adam did? So we're going to be looking at that and what does it mean for us this morning. And there's four things that we're going to be looking at. First... We're going to look at the curses in Deuteronomy for disobeying God. Second, we're going to look at the blessings for obedience. Third, we're going to look at the reason that Israel keeps disobeying God. The reason. And fourth, in chapter 29, we're going to see a covenant with Israel, God's special relationship with his people. It's going to be remade there, or renewed. Some people call it a renewal covenant. In other words... The Sinai covenant that we read about in the book of Exodus in the last chapter of Deuteronomy 29, it's like it's, it's remade with a new generation. So those are the three things we're going to see. Uh, curses, blessings, and the reason that Israel keeps breaking God's law. And then third, fourth, uh, we're going to look at a new covenant, and we'll end with application for us. So first, curses for disobedience. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 27, Verses 9 to 14. And uh, Destiny, um, could you pull the slide up? I've got, hopefully that works. Um, I pulled this off a somewhat tacky website, but uh, it kind of helps picture what we're going to see in the passage. So anyway, uh, I don't know about the website that I got it from, but it is a, a true picture. So anyway. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Be silent, Israel, and listen. You have now become the people of the Lord your God. Obey the Lord your God and follow his commands and decrees that I give you today. On that same day, Moses commanded the people, When you have crossed the Jordan, do this. These, 12 tribe, these tribes shall stand on Mount Gerizim, to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. So you see Simeon, Levi, Judah, um, Joseph, and Benjamin are up on this Mount Gerizim right here. And sorry, it's so fuzzy. 
Over there you have Mount Ebal. That's verse 13. These tribes shall stand on Mount Ebal to pronounce curses. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Israel's about to enter the land of promise. Okay, They're standing outside the land. They haven't crossed this Jordan River to go into this promised land of blessing yet. The land of Canaan. And they're in the plains of Moab. Once they cross over the Jordan River, they'll be officially in this land. And this is what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to have this big curse and blessing ceremony. Half the tribes up on Gerizim, half the tribes up on Ebal. And whether representatives went up or all the people went up, we're, we're not sure. It seems like all the people. And half represented the people getting cursed if they disobey, and half represented the people getting blessed if they obey. And in the book of Joshua, a little bit later, we learn that they did do this and that the Ark of the Covenant was between them. And the, the priests and Levites and the elders stood there and this area supposedly is like a natural amphitheater, about a mile across. And, and when the priests were reading these curses, and when they read the blessings, which we'll get to that, they're not recorded. The first 12 blessings aren't recorded. Um, when, they, when they read those, the people would respond, and, and, and they were somehow able to hear. All right, so Destiny, you can uh, scroll off that so it's blank again. All right, so with that picture in your mind that that's what we've got going on in verses 14 and 15 we read the levites shall recite to all the people of israel in a loud voice verse 15 cursed is anyone who makes an idol a thing detestable to the lord the work of skilled hands and sets it up in secret so that would ring out across the valley and then all the people the ones on the mountain of blessing and the ones on mount curse would say amen and in Levitic and in Deuteronomy 27 or 29 I mean sorry yeah 27 Ooh, 27 verse 9 and following this pattern goes on for a total of 12 curses for various sins why do you think there was 12 12 tribes 12 tribes it's the same pattern um, cursed be you if you do this and 12 times you get this formula, this pattern. Um, but there's no blessings in a format of 12. We do get blessings at the beginning of chapter 28, 1 to 14, but it's in a different format. It's almost like the people aren't saying amen after the blessings. It's like wherever these blessings, these, the corresponding 12 blessings were, it's like Moses left them out of the final copy of the book. It really seems that way. And, and, and so we should be asking why. Perhaps, I think this is the case, it's a way of, of kind of casting this whole ceremony in a bit of an ominous light. As Deuteronomy will soon make clear, the people receive the curses far, far more than they receive the blessing. And so, curse dominates the next chapter. We're going to circle around in a minute to talk about the blessings, but just for now, notice that the blessings in chapter 28, if you look at the headings of your chapter divisions, uh, that the blessings are sandwiched between the curses in 27 and the curses at the end of chapter 28. Now, as you look at that, 
Which has more, the blessings or the curses? The curses. The curses go on from verse 15 all the way up to verse 68. Curse is the main thrust of this section. The blessings are sandwiched in between curses and almost drowned out by all this curse language. Things don't look so good for Israel. Now, what I'd like to do next, I'm going to read for you a selection of the curses that will come upon Israel if they don't listen to the voice of the Lord and follow his commands. So if through their disobedience they cut themselves off from the God of life, this is what's going to happen. And as you listen to me reading some of these curses, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Initially I was going to, but that would take too long. Uh, As you listen, know that all of these actually happened to Israel. Later prophets of Israel, they constantly had Deuteronomy 28 in mind as these things were happening. And again and again, as these people were undergoing misery and curse for disobeying the God, the prophets kept grabbing them verbally by the scruff of the neck and sticking their faces in Deuteronomy 28 and saying, look, look, wake up. This is what's happening. Do you see you getting kicked out of the land? Look at Deuteronomy 28. Again and again, the prophets took them here and pointed out, you're just walking blindly into what God said would happen. They always have Deuteronomy 28 in mind. So knowing Deuteronomy 28 is very helpful for reading the rest of Israel's story. It makes sense of it. Why is God doing this to his people? Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration, and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land you are entering to take possession of it. Skip down to verse 36. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. Verse 37. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the people where the Lord will lead you away. It's like the nations look at Israel and they're like, yeah, that's what happens to people who don't obey their God. A proverb will be made about you. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall drink you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, and you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. 
He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. All of these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring you a nation, bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. Think of the nation of Assyria, of Babylon, of Persia, that took them off to their own lands. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your grounds until you are destroyed. It shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. This is horrifying stuff. I won't even read the descriptions after that. This happened to Israel because of their evil. Verse 68, And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Super heavy stuff, and we've only read a sampling. This goes on for a lot more verses that we left out. The people, they were driven. This, it all happened. They were driven from the land. They were scattered among the nations. We even see in verse 68 that they actually end up where they started as a nation. Remember where God brought them out of in the Exodus? They've come full circle, except it's worse. What were they in Egypt? Do you remember? Slaves. What can't they even be in verse 68? They're trying to be slaves again? Like at least then we might have food? And nobody will buy them. Nobody wants them because they rejected their God. You can't get more cursed than that. You can't even be a slave. Just like Adam, the first human, they refused to listen to the Lord, and so they experienced curse and death outside of God's good land. Rebellion was fun for a while, but it didn't last. The gods of the nations couldn't deliver from when, when Babylon came 
running in. Baal was helpless against the power of the nation of Babylon. And if only Israel had turned to their one true God. But they didn't. If only they had obeyed, they would have experienced blessing, not curse. All the blessings promised in verses 1 to 15 and many more. Now, I'm not going to read those verses for us because they're really easily summarized. If you obey, good things will happen. You'll be blessed. You'll enjoy life in the land. It's really interesting, though, that in those verses, yes, there's blessing, but there's a lot of ifs, even with the blessings. If, 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 if you obey, you'll be blessed. And he keeps saying it. You'll be blessed if you obey. You'll be blessed if you obey. You'll be blessed if you obey. Which is the second main point today. Blessing leads to obedience. Obedience is quite literally a matter of life and death. Now, I think, Bible aside, we can relate to this, okay? There's lots of scenarios in, your, in our world that you could think about where obedience is life and death issue. The cop says, drop the gun. The young man obeys. He lives. He disobeys. He dies. The parent screams, stop. If the child continues to run, the car is going to hit him. If he stops, he lives. The doctor says, if you keep eating that way, you're going to get a heart attack in the next year. You will die. You listen, you live. You disobey and you choose death. Yeah, the sugar or whatever you love, the ice cream, <laughs> tastes good on the way down. Promises all kinds of exquisite tongue pleasures. Sins like that, though. Promises all kinds of wonderful things. But in the end, in the long run, taking the long view, it lands us in misery. Disobeying God is like going skydiving without a parachute. It's one heck of an adrenaline rush on the way down. But in the end death disobedience it lands us with israel back in egypt the whole blessing and cursing this wasn't just for israel though this is what I, I want you to hear the new testament actually has a blessing curse paradigm as well but now they revolve around listening to jesus blessing is found in listening to Jesus. We ignore Jesus to our peril. Jesus himself said this, Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27. Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, these words he's been saying, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets up on a high mountain in Matthew 5 to 7, and he, he gives the people his law, who gave the people law from a mountain in the Bible? Moses. Jesus is a new Moses in Matthew. There's lots of other things pointing to that, but uh, even that image alone 
should be an indicator. And as the new Moses, Jesus is giving his people his words, which aren't different than Moses's, but they're they're a, a new expression of love for God and love for neighbor, a fulfillment of everything that Moses gave the people. And Jesus says, you listen to these words of mine, you'll, here's what you'll be like if you obey me. You'll be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell like my kid's sandcastle at the beach when the waves hit it. It never lasts. The Apostle James wrote his whole letter basically as a reflection on Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Like 21 connections by my last count, at least. He says, reflecting on these words, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. James 1, 22-25 Do not merely listen to the word with your ears, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, the law of Jesus, love God, love neighbor, that sets you free, whoever looks intently into that and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So listening to the perfect law of Jesus, the law of love, it leads to freedom actually, not slavery. In that image earlier of skydiving without a parachute, you feel free on the way down, right? No, you're slave to gravity. You will die. It doesn't bring freedom to run from Jesus. It's slavery. Jesus sets us free. Refusing to listen cuts us off from the Lord. The command to listen is the same for us as it was for Israel. We just read two examples. And the warnings and blessings promised are the same. So, I could end my sermon here, right? So just obey! Suck it up and obey! Don't disobey! How does that work, parents? Maybe maybe you just got to be louder. Gary's going, no, that doesn't work, right? No. How did it work for Israel? God was pretty loud, right? We talked about this yesterday in our temple time. He made a mountain shake and engulfed it in fire. And the people listened. They did. They heard. But it didn't get down to their hearts. Obedience is a heart issue. It's a wanting issue. We don't want to obey because in the moment, we want something else more than we want what God wants. We want the adrenaline rush of sin 
We want the sugar on the taste buds. We're not thinking about the, the dangers down the road. It's a heart problem. And commands that come from outside us, like a doctor saying, do this. Carl, can you make people change lifestyles? Parents, can you make children obey? No. At least not from the heart. Can't fix the wanter inside of us. The want at a heart level. Commands coming from outside can't work from within. So Jesus' words to the Pharisees didn't change the hearts of the Pharisees and make them listen. Jesus' words to so many back then didn't change. I mean, these are the words of the Son of God in Matthew 7. They're hearing the words of the creator of the universe. You think that would change their hearts? No, they killed him to shut him up. Only God can make us listen. As Jesus told one Pharisee, Nicodemus, his problem, he's got to be born again. He needs a new heart. Otherwise, we just make law-keeping about making us look good and not about loving God and loving neighbor. We become Pharisees. Because you might be able to obey God's law to a certain extent externally. But if it's for wrong motives, we just become a Pharisee. So in our very next chapter today, Deuteronomy 29, we learn that God, he hadn't yet given the people of Israel hearts to obey him. Yet. But he would. So look with me at Deuteronomy 29, verses 2 to 4. There we're going to see Israel's problem. You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Do you catch the significance of the words there? You have seen Israel, but you have not seen. You have heard, but you haven't heard. Why? They don't have hearts that can respond rightly to the things their eyes see and the things their ears heard. Just like the man James talks about when he sees his reflection in the mirror and then completely forgets what he looks about, it looks like when he walks away, the law hadn't lodged in their minds and in their hearts. They forgot it as soon as they turned from Mount Sinai. Most importantly, though, the love for God and the trust in God that obeying the law required, trust, it wasn't in their hearts. Think about why you struggled to obey your parent when you were a child. Kids, you're still kids. Think about why it's hard to obey mommy and daddy. At the end of the day, it's really because we really have a hard time trusting our parents in the moment. It's hard to trust that they have our best in mind when they tell us to do something. I think I would be happier if I did things my way, not daddy and mommy's way. Right? That's how I thought as a kid anyway. 
I always knew what was best for me. And our culture encourages this kind of thinking. You do you. You know what's best for you. You are the expert on yourself. Guess what? I am not the expert on myself. My wife knows and sees my sin a lot better than I do. Okay? And she lets me know. And I am grateful for that. It is a gift from the Lord. Not always in the moment. Okay? She called me out for something selfish this morning. And it stung. She was right in gratitude. So it's a heart issue. And it was for the first generation of Israelites who escaped Egypt. It's the same for this new generation. So there's a first generation of Israel that we read about in Exodus, and they didn't trust God. They got up to the promised land, and they're like, yeah, there's giants. Nope. Not for us. We're jumping off this ship. And they didn't obey, and so they were exiled. They wandered in the desert for 40 years outside the promised land, and all the people ages 20 and up, they died in the wilderness. This is the new generation. Many of them did see with their own eyes what happened in Egypt because they were under 20, but they were still able to see. So that's why Moses can say, your eyes saw these things. And now he's making a new covenant with this new generation. Will they make the same mistake? Will they fail to trust the Lord? According to Deuteronomy, the answer is a big yes. Moses is under no illusions for how things are going to fare in this new entrance into the promised land. They're going to make it further this time. They'll get across the Jordan River. They'll do this whole blessing and curse thing. And then you read the book of Judges, and it's like curse, 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 curse. Until the very end of Judges, the Israelites have become as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. And they have the same sins, and they're getting the same punishments. It's amazing and terrifying how quickly we can fall away from the living God. And it's not because the commands were bad. It's because their hearts were hard. The commands showed how hard the hearts were. So this leads to the fourth thing to look at this morning. The Sinai covenant is remade with the new generation, Deuteronomy 29, verse 1. Verse 1, these are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. So did you catch that? Deuteronomy, this whole book, Deuteronomy, all that has come before, it's given to Israel, this new generation on the plains of Moab right outside the promised land. They're looking back at a train wreck called their parents' generation, and they're looking forward with all the potential ahead of them and, and here is this new covenant. It's like, okay, you get this new renewed covenant that the Lord is making with this new people, this new generation. And the question is, is the new generation going to do any better? It's got the same warnings as the old covenant in Exodus. It's got the same blessings as the old covenant next it's the same covenant it's just with a new people and there's a ceremony now right 
blessings and curses. And these blessings and curses, they just, it's like they're on these mountains. It's like they live there. And as Israel is wandering through the land, they're supposed to remember. Obey, disobey. Tree of life, right? With blessing or disobey God. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we die. And they enter the land. And we know from the rest of Deuteronomy and the rest of the Bible that, again, as I keep saying, they do not get the blessing. But what we can see as we draw to a conclusion here is that broken covenants lead to new covenants. Till the day that the Lord will fix the hearts of the people so that they will love the Lord their God and trust him and listen to him and live. Deuteronomy 24, though, 29, verse 4, it says, The Lord hasn't given the people the heart they needed yet. But one day, after the exile, after the new generation had faced all the blessings of life in the land, and then the terrible curses of disobedience and exile and death, the Lord would cause them to turn back to him. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, we read, After all the blessings and curses have happened, God himself would circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their children so that they would love the Lord their God with all their heart and with all their soul so that they would live. God would step in and fix the heart problem of the people. He would make it so that they would obey him and experience the blessing. Remember I said broken covenants, like the covenant of Sinai that they broke lead to new covenants, the one that's being made here. This the covenant we're reading about now was the, the same structure, but there's a covenant coming that had a different structure, a structure with the power to change the people's hearts. And we read about it in, Deutero- in Jeremiah, the prophet, chapter 31 to 34. There God says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It's like they're his bride and he's their husband and they were unfaithful. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after this time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, hey, you need to know God because you've got a problem, right? They're not going to be saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So this new covenant, it is infinitely better than the covenant at Sinai, and the covenant made here in the plains of Moab. In the covenant, God is going to reach down by his spirit and do what he says he's going to do in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. He's going to put love for him on the hearts of the people so that they would love him. And not just Israel. He's going to do it for Jews and Gentiles too. People like like you and I. And in this covenant, he's going to make it so that everybody who 
is in covenant relationship with him actually knows him. We have something that Israel did not have. We have Jesus and we have his spirit in us. The old covenant, it was a covenant of externals. It was, it was made with people who were biologically Israel, like they were genetically descended from Abraham. Um, some knew God, but most did not. It was regularly necessary in those days for the prophets to keep calling out to the people, you need to know the Lord. You need to know the Lord because you might be in covenant with him, but you have not a clue who he is. That's not the way it's to be with the people of God. Everybody who trusts in Jesus and enters into a covenant relationship with God in the new covenant has had their hearts changed. They truly know the Lord. They've been born again, and we've been given new hearts that have been enabled to love God and love our neighbor. Under the new covenant, God enables us to obey him. He empowers us to have the obedience that he himself commands. He calls us to live for him, and then he enables us by giving us new hearts, by the Spirit writing love for him and love for others on our hearts so we can obey God. These blessings for disobedience or for obedience and these curses for disobedience, they still hold true in the New Testament. It's not different in what it says. What's different is the people of the New Covenant. Our hearts have been changed. We're actually able to love God from the heart. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And at the end of the day, if we see any of these things at work in ourselves, it's because the Spirit put them there. We don't get credit for it. On the last day, God will say well done to his true people. Enter into the blessings. And he's going to crown the works that he himself worked in us. It's an interesting dynamic, right? Well done. Good and faithful servant, it was I who enabled you and empowered you by the Spirit to be faithful. This kills pride. I can't look at somebody and go, I'm godlier than you. I've got it figured out, but Carl, I'll pick on him because he's gone. Carl doesn't, right? I, I'm a better Christian than he is. What's that? There's no room for boasting in the new covenant because it's the Spirit who works love for God in all of us. We are his workmanship. He's in us. That's why the New Testament regularly makes love the litmus test for being a Christian. It's a test of whether or not you have a new heart. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves who has been born of God and knows God, who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So John's goal in this letter isn't to make us constantly struggle doubting our love for God. Well, you know, you ever seen the song, or the, the flower, like, I love him, 
he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. Sometimes, I, I know I can struggle and have at times, and I've spoken with many Christians who struggle with this, like, I love him, but do I really? I love him, but do I really? I love him, I love him not. That's not John's goal here. He's not trying to make our performance the grounds of our acceptance in God's sight. No, actually, if you're convicted in your heart that you failed to love God and neighbor like Jesus wants you to, that's actually not a sign that you don't have the Spirit. That's a sign that you have the Spirit. And he's tugging your heart away from selfishness and pride. And he's tugging your heart towards obedience and towards the love that brings blessing. He wants blessing for you. Every impulse in your soul to love others sacrificially and to love God with your everything, to pray, to read the word, every impulse in there is put there by the Spirit because He wants you to enjoy blessing. And everything that pulls you away from love is coming from the flesh and from the devil and from the world. We are at war in the Christian life. And when we do love the Lord rightly, truly, and love others, we do it because not we want him to accept us. He has accepted us. We do it because we want to smile. We want to make every effort, as Paul says, to please him. Just like a little kid wants to make his daddy proud, God gives us that impulse I want daddy to be happy with me. Oh, daddy's upset. I, I want to make things right. That, that is put there so we get a picture of our relationship with the Lord. And the key to loving God and loving neighbor, the key to listening to God, the key to obeying him is trust, is faith. Faith worked in us by the Spirit who gives us a new heart, the heart that Deuteronomy says that Israel hasn't had yet. So when I trust God, he empowers me to love him and love others. He is worthy to be trusted. And as we struggle with trust in our daily life, just like Abraham did, okay, we have prayers in the Bible for this. Lord, increase our faith. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe you enough to listen to your words and to know that no matter how good sin and disobedience tastes right now, I'm free-falling without a parachute. I need you. I need you. Help my unbelief. And when we fail to love, because we do all the time, like I shared a minute ago, I did yesterday and this morning, we still battle unbelief. Does that disqualify us from the blessing? No, not, not if, not if, at the end of the race of life, despite all the ups and downs, if at that end of the race of life we're still trusting and have trusted in the perfect Son of God, we'll still get the blessing. If we trust Jesus, He has.
has been perfect for us, even as he works his own love in us. Jesus, his life, his perfect obedience counts for us. Israel, remember, was like this corporate son of God. They failed bad. Who's going to be the obedient son of God? Who's going to do what Adam didn't do? Do what Israel didn't do? Who's going to love God perfectly, love neighbor perfectly, and win the blessings? We want Mount Gerizim, not Mount Ebal. Who's going to get the blessings for us? Jesus wins for us blessing. And he takes care of the curse. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus bore the curse of the law for all our disobedience, for all our unbelief, so that at the end of the day, when we end our race and we're laying on our deathbed, and we, say, we can say, Jesus, I still trust you. Your death covers all my shame, all my failures. You bore the curse for me. And your life, your perfect life, counts for me because I know that even my best attempts to love are filled with self and failures. I think I've grown more aware of that as I've gotten older and I, older saints who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, you talk to and they say, it's still a struggle, this Christian life thing. Right, brothers? It's still a struggle. We still need Jesus. We never graduate from our need for Christ. He covers all our failures to love, and he crowns the love he works in us one day with blessing, so that at the end of the day, all praise will be to him. And one day, in the new creation that Jesus is bringing, we won't ever disobey again. And that's why we'll never be exiled from heaven. God will have finished the work he began in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of Jesus. I thank you that he is for us, not against us, in whatever we face. I pray that you would stir our hearts with greater love for him this morning by your spirit. A love we can't just work up in ourselves. It's a great shame that I can read the Bible and feel nothing. But by your spirit, you can fix that. We need your help. And I pray that you would stir us up with greater love for you today, especially now as we go to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.